all of God's people said, praise the Lord. Thank you, team. Before I bring the message, I want to join with Zach in reminding you about the block party next Sunday. And I'm so glad, looking around, that it is next Sunday, not this Sunday, when school <laughs> fall break and everybody's gone. I think they must have known that. <laughs> but please come and be prepared to uh, participate and celebrate. Before I also bring the message, I want to introduce some friends. Actually, welcome back uh, one friend and introduce a new one. Uh, many times I've introduced uh, the man who's the chairman of Leading the Way Board in Australia. He's become a friend of this church and a friend of Leading the Way. And in all truthfulness, God used him single-handedly to take Leading the Way Australia to new heights like we never expected. So, so grateful uh, to the dedication, commitment, and faithfulness and stewardship of Mr. Phil Cave from Sydney, Australia. So, honored to have you back, Phil. And with him, a new friend who become dear friend, uh, Dr. Peter McEwen, who is the president of Excelsior College in Sydney, Australia. Peter, we welcome you. Lord Jesus, will you please now make the words of my lips and the meditation of all our hearts and minds be acceptable to you. Our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. A man was convinced that he has an inferiority complex problem, and he went to see a psychiatrist. And he told the psychiatrist, I suffer from an inferiority complex. So the psychiatrist examined him very thoroughly, very thoughtfully, and finally, he came to him and he said, well, I want to give you one of those good news, bad news situations. The good news is you don't have a complex. The bad news is you're certainly inferior. <laughs> well, I think the feeling of inferiority is really seriously not a joking matter. I'm going to tell you why I'm going to deal with this this morning. Because those who compare themselves with others and then feel inferior, they're dishonoring the Lord because He made each one of us individually to be who we are. But even acting in that spirit of inferiority, a person opens his heart or her heart to Satan to do terrible things. Why do I say this? Because if that feeling of inferiority persists, it will lead into all kinds of discouragement. And discouragement is Satan's number one tool. There's a foible about uh, one of the devils was auctioning his tools. And there's auctioning them. Of course, you know, it's not a true story. But then the devil comes in. He's seeing him. He's about to auction discouragement. He said, no, 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 don't do that. That's your best tool. And it is. Satan's best tool. I want you to hear me right. For it is one thing to feel discouraged on occasions. We all do. Or for a short period of time. And it's a whole different thing to live in the spirit of discouragement. 
or live in a state of discouragement. It is dangerous to stay in that territory because most likely it's going to lead you into sin and into doubt and into confusion. Here's a fact. We all face discouragements at times, every one of us. So let's be realistic about this. The difference between the victorious Christian and the defeated Christian is the person who decides to stay in that spirit of discouragement, and the victorious one refuses to stay there. Let me put it this way. Discouragement is like a jacket. You can take the jacket off and hang it in a closet, or you can put it on. Uh, Particularly for young people, listen to me, discouragement is like bad company. You can choose to hang around with them, or you can walk away. David, in this stage of his life, was choosing to wear the garment of discouragement and led him to all sorts of terrible things. David allowed the the spirit of discouragement to be his companion. David elected to give the spirit of discouragement a free run in his life. Listen to me. Uh, I have had so many discouragements growing up as a young man, as a boy, a young man. Uh, They're enough to have a book by themselves. I'd mentioned a few things in the Trust and Obey book, but truly… I did not understand what God was doing. Those in the early days, because I have faced a whole lot of discouragement later on, but in those early days, the Lord was teaching me how to shake off that spirit of discouragement and be encouraged and encourage myself in the Lord, for which I'm very, very grateful. And if you haven't turned already to 1 Samuel 27, I hope you have. It's read to us to prepare our minds for it. Because here you see David surrendering to the spirit of discouragement. And surrendering to the spirit of discouragement took him into places that he would never have gone. Discouragement led him to roads that he would never have trodden. The spirit of discouragement escorted him to functions that he would never have attended. And so the question is, how did this happen? By the way, if you're a first-time visitor or guest here today, we're glad you're here, but we're right in the middle of this series from the life of David, A Heart After God's. After a great victory, you remember from the last message, after a great victory of David doggedly refusing to kill Saul when he could have, when all of his uh, motley crew telling him to do it, when he refused to do that, and he only cut a small piece of the garment, he received that that was a great victory over temptation. And he said, I will not touch the God's anointing. After that, David entered into a period of moping and sulking and feeling sorry for himself. And beloved, when that discouragement sits in, it can become a disaster if you stay in it. So let me repeat this because it's very important. It is important to know that we all, at some point, because of circumstances totally out of our control, we can feel discouraged. (laughs) 
but please do not stay there. Can I get an amen? amen? Staying in discouragement led David to Ziklag. That's a good word. You need to remember it. It's Z-I-K-L-A-G, or for the honor of our guest, Z-I-K-L-A-G. <laughs> Ziklag. Say it with me. Because all of us, every one of us, including your pastor, at some point we found ourselves in our ziklag. And my ziklag and your ziklag are very different. Your ziklag is inevitable, and it is inevitable destination if you stay with discouragement. Listen to what David said during that time. Psalm 10.1, he was writing during that period of time. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Or Psalm 13, verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And you see that spirit of discouragement setting in? Or in that Messianic psalm, which was repeated by our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Please hear me right. Whenever a person, anyone, begin to think this way, or begin to think that God had forsaken them when the Word of God is so clear that I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you, the moment you begin to think that way, you are entering into a danger zone. Can I get a witness? For one thing, it is just not true. It is not true. It's a lie from the devil. At that point, you're either going to put on the garment of discouragement or encourage yourself in the Lord and in the faithfulness of the Lord and in the promises of the Lord. Either you comfort yourself in the Lord or who loves you enough to die for you or allow discouragement to lead you into despair. Either you will say with Job, I know that my Redeemer lives, or you give up like Elijah and said, take my life, ready to die. Hear me right. There can be no doubt that David was facing discouragement. We all agree on that? I mean, he was facing discouragement. He was disheartened. And as I said, discouragement comes to the best of us, all of us, in one way or another. But it is what you do when discouragement comes your way will determine your victory or your defeat. David's discouragement came as a result of what appears to be. Now, notice what I'm saying. Appears to be. Come on, I want you to say it with me so you can remember it. Don't ever judge things by appearance. <laughs> it's very important. What appears to be. Why do I say this? Because God's delay in answer of his prayer appeared to David, as it does appear to you, and it appeared to me in the past. It appears that God has forsaken you, or God is not listening to you. It appears. 
So he looked, he sat down and said, Saul continues to hunt for me. And there is no, at least seems to be no end to David running away from Saul. David is under this enormous pressure of providing for this 600, there used to be 400, now 600, they're increasing, <laughs> provide, uh, provide for them. The pressure of finding a place for them to hide, all of that, he was carrying all of this on his shoulders. And here's a choice we all have to make when we're under pressure. Either we cast all our burdens on the Lord or carry them ourselves and let them take us to Ziklag. You either hand your sorrows to a loving Heavenly Father or let your sorrows take you to places you don't want to go. David convinced himself that it is hopeless. <laughs> uh, it is useless to continue waiting upon the Lord. Verse 1. Mark it, because verses 1 and 3 are really key verses here. Verse 1, David said, said in his heart. Now, be very careful what you say in your heart. Are you with me? Are you with me? Be very careful. We all self-talk. Did you know that? When I self-talk, I involve the Lord in the conversation. I don't talk to myself. I get him involved in it. Because the devil loves to use that self-talk, invade your mind, and get you to do things you don't normally do. In fact, one of my colleagues developed a, uh, a one-minute video to show you how the devil operates when he sees a person saying to himself or herself, let's play it. So I get asked all the time, how do you do it? How do you get inside my head? Well, first of all, not a lot going on in there, so it's not too hard to get in. Better question, what are you doing home alone on a Friday night watching Lifetime movies? Twisted desire, come on. Secondly, I'm in your head because I live there. 1623 Chatterbox Lane, right next to that old memory of your high school boyfriend, Eric, that keeps trying to get your attention. Don't worry, he's doing just fine. Aside from a buttery mustache and 40 pounds, he's every bit the JV football star he once was. One mention, and here they come, your dusty memories like the running bulls of Pamplona. What if I married the wrong person? What if I should have married Eric instead? I wonder if he's on Facebook. <laughs> and this is where I've got you. Now, I can't convince you Eric was the right one, but I can create fear and regret. And once those thoughts start, well, good luck slowing down that train. All aboard, next stop, sweet dreams of Eric's mustache. <laughs> no relief in sight. And I sit back and admire the problem. But don't worry. I'll see you again tomorrow. <laughs> amen. Amen. Be careful what you say in your heart. That's the whole point. <laughs> Here's what he said. He said, I shall now perish one day at the hand of Saul. Oh, David, have you forgotten Samuel anointing you with oil? There's nothing better for me to do than escape to the land of the Philistines. Oh, my goodness. Listen, listen, listen. Someone here who might be watching around the world may be discouraged at this very moment in your life. And you're saying to yourself, there is no use holding on. There is no use persisting. There is no use waiting for the Lord. There is no use persevering. There is no use totally trusting in the promises of God. They're not coming. 
that, my beloved friend, will take you to your zigzag, where you don't want to be. Martin Luther, the great reformer, was prone to discouragement. Do you know that one of the great uh, comfort to me, when I read the biography of one of my heroes, Charles Spurgeon, and this man God used like uniquely, like he used very few people. And he suffered so much from discouragement. I said, man, my discouragement looked like a picnic in comparison to this guy. So it really encouraged me. Martin Luther was fighting both pope and king. <laughs> and even some of his friends turned on him. And he was really low. Then he went for a walk in the cool of the night, and he came home and wrote down the following words. I have been looking up at the night sky, spangled and studded with stars. I found that there, is, that there are no pillars to hold them, and yet they don't fall. Here's the lesson. Here's the lesson. The God who holds the stars in place holds your future in his hands. The God who spins the orbits around with meticulous precision is holding and spinning the circumstances in your life. The very God who weighs the dust in scales is in control of your tomorrow. The God who commands the ravens of all birds, these are venomous ones, the ravens to feed Elijah, he will command the events in your life. David came to erroneous conclusion. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you how many times I came to erroneous conclusions. <laughs> Only God in heaven knows how many times. I do too. He came to the erroneous conclusion, and just as many of us do. And I want you to think with me. Just th think with me for a moment. The time of David to be sitting on the throne of Israel was so close. Just think about this. It was so close. Of course, we know now because it's hindsight. He did not know this, but it was very, very close. <laughs> but David failed almost at the last hour of his trial. David failed at the very last hour of his waiting. David failed at, at the very last hour of his testing. Ah, but there's more. I, for one, I always look at the factors. You know, the factors that lean, I always want to know, when i blown it, I want to go back, I want to find out what are the things that led me here? What led me to discouragement? What led me to this erroneous conclusion? One thing you notice very clearly, those of you who have followed the series, and if you have not been, you can download it, it's free, but in the last message, you saw how David inquired of the Lord. Lord, shall I go? He said, yes. Lord, are they going to do this? He said, yes, they will. They always inquired of the Lord. He got the priest that came in and brought the ephod with him, and he inquired of the Lord. But this time, he did not seek the counsel of the Lord. This time, he did not seek the mind of God. Instead, he drew his own conclusions using human logic and secular wisdom and prevailing circumstances. And that's dangerous. And so David, who slayed the Philistine giant, now gone into the land of the Philistines, the enemies of God. <laughs> He's now gone there. 
David, he was the servant of the living God. Now he's the servant of Achish. Please watch this with me. Watch and see what a spirit of discouragement can do if you allow it to persist. First of all, nobody really wants to be around a person who is constantly down in the mouth. Am, am, I, am I telling the truth? I mean, people see you come a mile away and come, oh, here he comes, he'll run away. And this really happened with David. He wore the spirit of discouragement like a garment, and he stayed in it, which led him to the Philistines, the enemies of God, King Achish, the land of the enemies. And first, of course, Achish welcomes him. Hey, you know, you heard the term, keep your friends close and your enemy clo- enemies closer. Achish started this. <laughs> By having David, who has slain his giant, to come in and stay in there. Well, he welcomed him. Misery loves company. Secondly, Saul gives up looking for him. Some of you probably saying, I know. I know what you're thinking because I already thought that ahead of you. (laughs) Probably some of you are saying, well, what's wrong with that? The guy needs a little peace. In life, I mean, after all, he's running from place to place to place to place. Well, he needs a little peace. Ah, but that's false peace. It's false peace. Uh, That's not the real peace of God. That's not the peace that comes from God. Uh, Now, there are some people who think that uh, they can have some peace if they hang out with Uncle Jack Daniels. You know him? You want to hang? They think he's going to numb their pain. The problem is they wake up in the morning with that same pain and a headache as a bonus. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Something that taking illicit drugs will numb their pain and remove them from reality only to find that the reality is all still there. Now they've developed addiction. There are some people who think that if they run away from their jobs, from their families, from their situation, they'll get some peace only to multiply their troubles. Think with me again. Who gets dishonored in this process that David is going through? Who gets dishonored? Hello, come on now. Who gets dishonored? In David's case... The Lord is dishonored, and the promises of God are dishonored. You say, well, how come? Well, you see, God promised David that David, his enemies, would be cast off like a stone of a sling. That's God's promise. And that promise was confirmed to David again and again and again. It was not only confirmed by the Lord, it was confirmed by the prophet Samuel. Then it was confirmed by Prince Jonathan, the son of Saul. And then of all people, it was confirmed, as we saw in the last message, by King Saul himself. So in his spirit of discouragement, David actually was saying, Lord, 
because you have not fulfilled your promise to me, now I give up. <laughs> Lord, you overpromise and underperform. Lord, I know you kept me safe so far, but I'm not really sure you're going to keep me safe in the future. Uh, Lord, <laughs> you've protected me from many enemies and from many swords of the past, but this time I think it's getting harder for you, Lord. Hello. Lord, you have given me a mind to think with, and, and my mind tells me to take matters into my own hands because I haven't seen your hand working lately. Now, beloved, let me testify to you. It is easy to get out of the place of testing. It is easy. But when you get out of the place of testing, be very careful because you are getting out of the place of blessing. I'm not talking about salvation now. I'm not saying you're going to lose your salvation. I'm talking about the blessing, the place of blessing. And so David went to the place of the Lord's enemies, King Achish, who gave him the town of Ziklag. Listen carefully to me. Ziklag is a symbol of compromise. Ziklag is a place of idolatry. Ziklag is a place of disobedience. Ziklag is the place of temporary fake peace. Look at verse 3. Significant verse, I told you. One and three are really significant. Underline them. Why? Because it shows you the beginning of David's compromise. Because David's discouragement really had deeper roots than just this. In the book of Deuteronomy, the command of God is not to multiply wives. David has three, all at the same time. Three wives. Two with him, and one back home, the daughter of Saul, Michael. Ahonam of Jezreel, and Abigail of Carmel, and now Michael was back home. Taking refuge among the enemies of God using the logic of the flesh, compromising God's law, all of these are the consequences of letting discouragement sit in. Listen to me. <laughs> From a human point of view, I still live in that flesh and blood. Don't, 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 don't worry. I'm not a super saint. As if any of you really believe that. <laughs> you know me too well. From the human point of view, listen carefully, from the human point of view, Ziklag looks like a place of success. Isn't it? Right? At that moment? I mean, Ziklag looks like David plans, man, are they working out. Isn't that great? Ziklags look like the world is now smiling at dear old David. Ziklag looks like things have turned so well, homes and Camels and cars and bank accounts, and he wondered why he didn't think about that sooner. Devising your own plan, listen to me, devising your plan and not God's plan may lead to temporary success. Living in disobedience will not always show the consequences right away. Disregarding of God's clear word 
may be accompanied by worldly rewards. The Bible said sin is pleasurable for a moment. But one false step is not enough. You have to take a second one, and then another one, then another one. One deception is not enough. There has to be followed by another deception and another deception. Uh, one lie is not enough. It must be followed by another lie and another lie to cover up that lie. And you see this happening with dear old David right here in the Scripture. You see it very clear. Look at verse 8. David began to make his living by killing and stealing. David wanted to be accepted by the enemies of God, but deep down he knew that what he was doing is inconsistent with the Word of God. David sought the favor of the enemies of God because deep down he thought that he lost the favor of God. Be very careful. Beloved, out of deep guilt, David goes out, kills and steals, and comes back and lies about it. Be very careful of wanting to be accepted by the culture, by society, by the world. James said that friendship of the world is not only betrayal of your vows to Jesus, it's enmity with God. In an interview recently, a very prominent evangelical pastor, it's an interview with a publication. He had said some things, and, and the writer of this particular interviewer was trying to give him a chance to kind of redeem himself of what he said. And in that interview, he explained away why he says what he says, denying the Scripture. He said, my church is filled with non-believers. And when they tell me they cannot accept this story or cannot accept this part of the Bible, they cannot accept Jonah, they cannot accept Noah, I said, that's fine. I just want them to be Christian so badly that I said, it doesn't matter what they believe in the Bible or what they don't believe. No problem. See, listen to me. Of course, fallen people don't want to believe the Bible. The fallen people don't want to be convicted of sin. Sinful people want a pastor like him to approve of their sinful lifestyle. Of course, unregenerated hearts want a pastor to bless any deviant behavior. Why? Because by the virtue of being created in God's own image, they are carrying a load of guilt. Their conscience is burning within them. Trust me when I tell you, because I have talked to so many of these folks, my heart tears in two for them because their conscience is burning, and, 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 and because it's burning within, they desperately want to be accepted with their baggages. Uh, 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 but acceptance will never be enough. Uh, praise of their lifestyle will never be enough. Uh, taking pride in their lifestyle is never going to alleviate the guilty conscience. Listen to me. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can forgive a repentant sinner and set the captives free. As the song said, nothing but the blood of Jesus can heal a seething conscience. 
listen, we were in worse shape than they are. I was in a worse shape than they are. And nothing could set me free from guilt and shame but the blood of Jesus. And so they'll burn with anger and hatred. And as long as they exchange the smile of God for the grin of Satan. As long as they exchange the protection of God for the flimsy wall of accepting, acceptance by some pastors. As long as they exchange a trust in God's provision and exchange it for ziklag, there will always be turmoil. In the next message, I'm going to show you how this city, the prosperous city, became prosperous even more under David. It was burned to the ground. Burned to the ground. Beloved, every protection, listen to me, every protection other than God's protection, every hope other than hope in God, every comfort other than the comfort of the paraclete, the Holy Spirit of God, every security other than the one that comes from El Shaddai, it's going to burn to the ground. It will prove useless. Let me share this with you as I conclude and prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table. It's a true story about a gifted writer, well-known, who faced the spirit of discouragement and wondered even if life is worth living. Yet once he recognized the hand of God lifting him out of that despair, he did not resist. In fact, he sought to glorify God out of that very sad chapter in his life and his experience. His name is William Cowper, great British writer. Despite of his talent, despite of his success, one day, out of grief and disappointment, he sunk into the deep and the depth of discouragement. So he finally, on a foggy London night, called a horse and, uh, and courage. That's what the cabbies were before the days of, of cars. And, and he asked the cabbie to take him to the London Bridge. He has every intention of jumping from the London Bridge into the River Thames. After two hours of the cabbie sitting in that car, carriage, and, and, and he just found, the, the, the driver found himself lost in the London fog. Cowper got so frustrated, he got so irritated, he just said to the driver, stop, I'm going to make it on foot. So he got out of the cabbie, only to find himself standing at the doorstep of his house. <laughs> For two hours, the cabbie, the driver of the horse, and courage lost his bearing, and he kept going around, 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 around in the fog. At that moment, William Cowper recognized that a straining hand of God. I'm so grateful for the restraining hand of God. At that moment, he recognized the providential turn of events. Convinced by the Holy Spirit, 
he began to snap out of his discouragement. Seeing that the hand of God saved him, he went inside the house, and as he sat, tears just kept on flowing like a flood out of his eyes on his face. Then he knelt as he penned these words that have blessed untold numbers of people through the years. God moves in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. You can turn your discouragement into an opportunity, not just to be blessed yourself, but to bless others. You can take your discouragement and turn it with the power of God into an opportunity to serve and to bless many people. Will you do that? Will that be your prayer? Remembering that nothing is impossible with God. Say that with me. And as you pray, prepare your heart to come to that table. And as you walk down these aisles, say, Lord God, as I take this bread and I dip it into the wine, I am going to place my discouragement in you and receive your strength in in this place. Amen? Amen? Father God, you know us through and through. And as the song said in the very beginning, you know us, and you love us the same. You called us. We could never have converted ourselves in a million years, but you converted us to you, Lord Jesus. And you loved us with an everlasting love, not temporary, not occasionally, but you loved us all the way to eternity. And so, Father, I lift up every discouraged heart, whether they already have gone to Ziklag or they haven't gone yet, wherever they may be, Lord God, I pray that the words of the Holy Scripture, the infallible Word of God, goes deep into our hearts and brings us courage and desire and willingness to serve you the remaining years of our lives, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand up and sing with us?